0: So I I titled this message, Staying Fixed on Eternity in the Face of Foolish Hostility. And when I was reading through the text, that's what stood out to me, really just this necessity. And I think as we move through it, I'll show it to you. I think this necessity for us to keep our eyes focused on eternity, on eternal things. And that really is what Peter is calling his readers to over and over again. And in in this particular context, it's in the face of foolish hostility and how important it is to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. And it made me think, just a few days ago, I've recommended this to you before. If you don't have it, I highly uh, would suggest you get it. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. New Morning Mercies. It's a daily devotional that you can do. It takes about 10 minutes. 10 minutes, you read through a, a short section. There's a passage for you to meditate on. And they just have one for you every day of the week, but or every day of the year. But on January 3rd, The title of that is, if eternity is the plan, I just want to read it to you, then it makes no sense to shrink your living down to the needs and wants of this little moment. He goes on to say, it's hard to live with eternity in view. It is hard. It is hard for us. Life does shrink to the moment again and again. There are moments when it seems that the most important thing in life is getting through this traffic or winning this argument or satisfying some desire. There are moments when our happiness and contentment shrink to getting those new shoes or to the steak that is just 10 minutes away. There are moments when who we are, who God is, and where this whole thing is going shrink into the background of the thoughts, emotions, and needs of the moment. There are moments when we get lost in the middle of God's story. We lose our minds, we lose our sense of direction, and we lose our remembrance of him. God reminds us that this is not all there is that we were created and recreated in Christ Jesus for eternity. He reminds us not to live for the treasures of the moment. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If eternity is the plan, then it makes no sense to shrink your living down to the needs and wants of this little moment. So, with that, let's look at our text. And what I'm going to do is read to you. We're going to be focused on 13 through 17, but I want to first read to you verses 8 through 12, which we covered that section last week because that's the context. He flows right out of what he says there into this section, and they are linked together. So, verses 8 through 12 reads like this of chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay? That was uh, a few Sundays ago. We covered that. Then, now our text today, verse starting in verse 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? in Christ, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So in verses 8 through 12, Peter exhorts his Christian readers there, we just read it, we covered it in detail a while ago. He exhorts his Christian readers not to, you saw it, not to repay evil for evil, but rather to bless to keep their tongues from speaking evil and their lips from telling lies, to turn away from evil, to seek peace, right? Turn away from evil and do good, to seek peace and pursue it. Like you were to take the initiative in making peace with those around us. We are to be peacemakers, is what Peter saying. In a nutshell, Peter is calling his Christian readers to live righteous lives, to live lives that are pleasing to God, to live as God would have them to live, to walk as Christ walked. Then Peter asked this question in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If you are zealous for what is good, which he just got through describing in that section there. By the way, the Greek word translated zealous for is also translated in other uh, good Bible translations. Devoted to or deeply committed to. Devoted to or deeply committed to. The word carries with it the idea of a, a wholeheartedness and a singleness of purpose. A wholeheartedness and a singleness of purpose. You're just giving yourself fully to this thing. So... If one is devoted or deeply committed to not repaying evil for evil, in other words, someone does something evil to you, so you, you know, enact revenge and do something evil to them. If someone's committing to not doing that, but rather blessing, calling God to show favor upon them and, and wanting the best for them, if they are committed to using their tongues and lips in only God-honoring ways, as Christians should be, of avoiding wrongdoing in all its various forms, and always doing what is right, of seeking and pursuing peace with all those around them. So that starts with the people in your home, and certainly then outside of your home, and your neighbors, and your co-workers, and your community, and so on and so forth, and certainly within the church, (laughs) right? Right? If they're doing all that, if they are zealous for those things, deeply committed to them, then who is there to harm them? And the point I think Peter is making is a life such as this is a life that is characterized by a sincere passion for goodness. And generally speaking, that type of life okay, does not invite or encourage or fuel hostility from others. And can even contain such hostilities or uh, you know, put some water on. You with me? Okay. So remember, the book, the book is loaded with suffering. It's loaded with suffering. There's suffering going on, and we'll get to that in a second. But right now, Peter's just stating a general principle. You, if you're zealous for that type of life, then who, who's looking to harm you in that situation? It's a general principle that's found in Proverbs. I think that's what Peter's drawing from. So Proverbs sixteen seven says this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Okay, it's conditional, right? When a man's ways please the Lord, when he is zealous for what is good, when you are seeking and pursuing peace, when you are not returning evil for evil, but blessing those who harm you, then that type of life causes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You with me? Now, the Proverbs are general principles. That means they are not without their exceptions. There can be exceptions to these things, but that is the general rule of life. Okay? Now, one Bible commentator adds this, and I like it and thought I'd share it with you. He says, we are far more likely to suffer... If we are zealous for other people to do right, then if the zeal is applied to our own lives. But that's it for a moment. We are far more likely to suffer or to be harmed in some way if we are zealous for other people to do right than if the zeal is applied to our own lives. So the idea is this. Uh, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? You know, I mean, you see this just like, and I brought this up a million times. Saw it again on, uh, on Foothill in Day Creek. Guy comes down right there. He's making a right, but the lady or person in front of him in that car doesn't realize that they can go. right? So legally, they're supposed to go. And so he's held up. He And I'm watching him. I'm in the turn lane getting him to make a left on Day Creek. He comes undone! Okay, Now, the right thing for that lady to do, or person to do, was to continue but for whatever reason she may not have known she may have been nervous because she had maybe got there for the i don't know but this guy comes undone wanting her to do the right thing hostility just pouring out from this guy and he's lucky it was a woman if it was another man and he saw that those kind of things lead to uh situations of sorts yeah but it's this, this idea we are often consumed with wanting to make sure other people do the right thing. You should be a good neighbor. You should be a good spouse. You should be a good coworker, a good boss. You should do the right thing. You should honor the Lord. You should serve him. You should stop lying, right? That's where our focus is. Well, yes, yeah, certainly all those things are true. But then if, the, what the author is saying, what the writer is saying, is if we spent more time, though, focusing on, us being zealous for good, then it would look more like this. Whether you do good or not, I'm doing good to you. Huh? Whether you do good or not, I'm doing good to you. Because I'm zealous for good. I'm zealous to serve the Lord. We should be eager to do right by others when they don't do right by us. Rather than being eager or consumed with trying to make sure that everyone does right. by. I mean, honestly, that a lot of our conflict... Is generated out of this thing. Wanting to make sure others are doing right by us. Instead of just worrying that we're being more consumed, or more zealous for, or more committed to, or more devoted to doing right by them no matter what. Hello? Yeah. Beloved, we, we are our own biggest problem. We create much of, I'm not saying we create all of our issues. We don't. We live in a fallen world. But we create a lot of them. We are our own biggest problem. And if we come to grips with that, then we can start working on those things instead of always blaming. But Peter knew okay, that there are certainly exceptions to this general principle stated in verse 13 and that some of those he was writing to had suffered unjustly, doing good, living righteously, yet still suffering for it. We've seen some of that already as we read through the book. We'll see more of it. They are pursuing good. And yet, being harmed for it. He knew that. One writer says, normally, a life of active beneficence, we don't use that word. So this guy's, you know, he's way back 50s and something. That just means active goodness or kindness or charity. So that's what the word means. Normally, that kind of life toward others disarms those who might otherwise be hostile. So anyone who is actually disposed to injure those who help others is acting in a a perverted way. You get it? I mean, here's someone who is going out of their way to do good and is a benefit to the people they're around, the society that they're in, and yet someone decides that they want to punish them or hurt them or cause them to suffer in some way for that very good that they're doing. It's um, I would call that foolish behavior, irrational behavior, right? You get it? I mean, that's just that's crazy. Why would you Why would you hurt the very person that's helping? Well, we know why: depravity and sin. Okay, but so that does happen. It does certainly happen. So Peter knows it happened. We looked at that reality in uh, in Peter earlier when we covered First Peter two eighteen. He talked about the unjust master. You might remember that. He told the servants still, you know, go ahead and respect and and listen to those unjust masters. I told you the word unjust there was actually twisted or crooked. They were unjust because they were harming their servants who were good servants, who served them well, and they harmed them anyway, these Christian servants. That's twisted, man. That's perverted. So, knowing that there are exceptions to this general principle But, beloved, we would do much better off if we pursued that principle in our lives. We would reduce the amount of conflict we have okay, and problems. But even so, we will have conflict in this world because it's a broken world, even if we are pursuing good. Certainly, Peter's readers did. In fact, because we're pursuing good uh, in this case. So he says in 1 Peter 3.14, look back at the text, but even if you should suffer... And he defines the suffering. What kind of suffering? He's not talking about just, you know, general suffering. But he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, or for doing what is right, that's the idea. Even if you should, what does he say there in the ESV translation? You will be blessed. All right, let's look at that. So when you look at the word suffer as used in the New Testament... It's used in 1 uh, Peter more than any other New Testament book, 12 times out of the 40 plus times the word is used in the New Testament. And every time you look, it generally indicates, it can be as extreme as, it can be a reference to dying, uh, but generally it's a reference to something unpleasant or some kind of un- uh, hurtful experience of some kind. Okay? So when he talks about suffering here, it's some unpleasant or hurtful experience, up to and including potentially maybe even death. So as I said, here the suffering in view is not human suffering in general, but suffering for doing what is right. Or as verse 16 puts it, it is good behavior in Christ. It's those are the same ideas here. Suffering for doing what is right in this context, in the Christian context, that is good behavior in Christ. So you could say it is good conduct that is rooted in and uh, credited to one's saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Rooted in that relationship and credited to that relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, think about that for a moment. So that's what's going on. These are Christians serving the Lord. This good conduct is flowing out of that relationship with the Lord. One writer says the unbeliever does not hate benevolence in itself. It's not that he hates uh, good things being done in himself. But if it is coupled with the name of Christ, it arouses murderous anger. He applauds good conduct, but bitterly hates good conduct in Christ. That is what's going on here in 1 Peter. That is what has continued to go on in our world and still goes on to this day. It's that these good deeds, this good conduct, is flowing out of a relationship with Christ. And because the world has a hostility towards Christ, then they have a hostility towards those who follow him and serve him. And do good deeds in his name. We see that in John 15, 19 through 20. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Speaking to his disciples, he chose them out of the world. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now again, a life of... uh, uh, pursuing, being devoted to, consumed by uh, goodness, a blessing when you are not blessed, and when evil is done against you, not doing evil, of pursuing peace and seeking it, will have a, a, a way of, of reducing the amount of hostility. Maybe, like I said, even putting a, there may be hostility, but there's nowhere for it to go because you don't respond. You know husband and wife, you know what I'm talking about? Do You know what I'm talking about? Like when one of you is off the hook a little bit and decides that, that tonight we're going to fight. If the other one if the other one is calm, cool and collected this doesn't this isn't always true by the way, but if, if they are and they heap blessings, if they are kind, even in the face of some unkindness, it it puts a a towel on that fire. I mean, the other one can go off, but they, there's nothing fueling the hostility. It brings it down. However, <laughs> and you know what happens in the other situation, right? Oh, you want to fight? All right, let's do it. And then it's on, and the hostility that was there is exploded now. The whole house is on fire. So there is hostility in the world towards Christians, okay? But, but as we'll see, living a, a good life, in the way that is defined here in the scriptures can reduce the amount, how, how out of control that gets. But sometimes they're going to persecute you no matter what. So, what I want you to notice here, though, is Peter acknowledges that. He's been talking about suffering throughout the book. He'll continue to do that. But, but notice what he says in verse 14. This is where it gets a little strange, just to the common ear. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be Blessed. Now, listen, the ESV and another translation of the Bible, they translate it this way, you will be blessed. You could translate it that way, but literally it says in the Greek, it reads like this, this is a literal wording, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, blessed. That's what it says. It just says, blessed. Blessed. It's like an exclamation. It's like a declaration. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, blessed! (laughs) What? (laughs) You and I have a different definition of blessed or something. What's going on here? So most translations, because that is how it reads in the the original, most translations translate it like this, but even if, like the, the New American Standard, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. You are blessed. That's how I would understand it. Now, blessed here, the way uh, to understand blessed here is this way. You are well off. You are well off. You you are highly privileged. You have the favor of God. Blessed. What? Wait a minute. So here I am. I'm pursuing God. I'm living for Christ. I'm, I'm zealous for what is good. I'm doing these things. And yet, for that, I am being harmed. And Peter, you say that I am well off, I am highly privileged, I have the favor of God. Yep, that's exactly right. So what is Peter getting at? What is he getting at here? Why is he saying that? And this is where you start to see that eternal perspective. And I believe he was thinking, I mean, it's literally, it's very close in the saying, that he was thinking of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So listen. Those who follow Christ and suffer for doing right are reminded here that by Peter that though it may appear it may appear to eyes who can't see eternity that they are They are not blessed, they are indeed, they are indeed people who are blessed. For this kind of suffering is actually due to the fact that they are following the king. The Lord Jesus Christ, who the fallen world rejects and despises, which is why there's hostility in the first place. But that king that they follow and are suffering on account of, is the king who is coming again and with him will bring his glorious and everlasting kingdom. And all believers are promised a permanent place in that kingdom because they have been made citizens of that kingdom by saving faith in its king. You're blessed. See, that... To me, the second I read that, that is Peter, in a sense, saying, keep your eyes fixed on eternity in the face of this foolish, perverted, distorted hostility. Keep pursuing good. And though you might suffer, you are blessed. You are blessed. He goes on, right? He goes on giving instructions, good instructions to these people who were troubled by some of the things that were happening to them. You know, what you think about it, it's like, I don't get this, right? Because there was a general thought that if you did, you know, you followed the Lord, that things would go well, you know, on the earth. But they're, now they're following this Lord Jesus Christ. They're following him, and in some cases, things don't go well, right? So you start to think, wait a minute, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. <laughs> This is an indication of your allegiance to him, the fact that you would suffer. He said, right? The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And who's the you? The follower of Christ. It is confirmation for them that they are indeed blessed. They are the kings. and They're suffering for his cause. You're blessed. Keep that focus. I know... It doesn't feel good. He's not saying that suffering's good, that, that you, know, I, you should be happy about that. No, I mean, the suffering, suffering's hard. Being harmed when you're trying to do a good thing when it's totally unjust, that's hard. That is why we need to keep our eyes fixed on eternity or we'll lose our way. We'll lose our way. We'll turn back from doing good. Forget oh. this. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. This just gets me into trouble. You see, but if you have your eyes set on eternity, I'm blessed. It's a reminder every time I'm blessed. So he goes on verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And then he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So the them are obviously the persecutors or those who would seek to do those who are doing good harm. Okay. And he says, don't have any fear of them, nor be troubled. What would be a natural reaction to that situation? to have fear and be troubled, right? The word, but he tells them not to do that. The word translated trouble could also be defined as distressed, disturbed, or stirred up, or thrown into confusion. All of those things fill that definition. Don't be distressed, disturbed. Don't let your soul be stirred up. Don't let yourself be thrown into confusion. Keep your head. Don't be troubled. Do not fear. One writer says the word describes the agitation, distractions, surgings to and fro of thought and feeling which are brought on by strong fear and which tend to impede all the exercises of spiritual religion and to overthrow that restfulness of heart in God which should characterize the Christian. Again, the Christian needs to stay fixed on eternity in the face of this foolish hostility. Right? Listen, get this. This is in Luke. You've probably been familiar, you've heard this passage before. You know, why, why would he tell him, have no fear of them nor be troubled? Right? Where does that come from? Because that is a natural reaction. Well, I'm going to switch. Luke. Whoa. This doesn't have a little thingy on it, so we're just having all kinds of fun today. (laughs) I'll back up a little bit. Thank you, brother. Luke 12, 4 through 7. This is the words of Christ. This kind of of response from Peter comes right from this. This kind of uh, instruction, this kind of helpful exhortation, right? He says here, I tell you, my friends, this is Christ speaking, do not fear those who kill the body. So that would be harm taken to its fullest extreme, right? That would be suffering going all the way to even death. But I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. Stop right there. Every time I read that, I, am, I, am, I drop a little bit. You know, because you think about, have nothing more that they, there's nothing left. They killed me. <laughs> but that demonstrates that eternal perspective because for the believer, that is not the end. So they kill the body. That is the most they can do. In fact, that's a, uh, a graduation into glory. For the believer having that eternal mindset. So you kill me. I mean, it's not like you go, oh, I, like you're looking for that. Kill me. Or I'm being and bad. And... No, you're going to be afraid, right? But, but afraid, but at the same time, having a confidence, not undone. I mean, because anybody facing death, don't, you know, they're not going to be like, yeah, no problem. No, but they're going to be remembering, this is all you can do to me. Because after this, I go to meet my Lord. And when he comes back, he's going to deal with all this stuff. Amen. So then he goes on in verse 5, but I will warn you to fear. Don't fear those guys. The best the unbelieving world can do is take your life, but not your eternal life. Not your soul. They can kill your body. That's it. That's all they got. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him. Who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Who's that? Christ. The judge. That's the one you need to be concerned about. Not some bunch of idiots ranting and raving about how they're going to do you harm. Because you're a believer. Or they don't like you. Because you're a Christian. Yes, I tell you fear him. And then he says it's a beautiful statement. And it's in this context. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more valued than many sparrows. God cares for you. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. And he will bring you into his glorious kingdom as he has promised. You have no need to fret. Trust him. So those who reject Christ, beloved, they can never take away your blessing in him that's why peter says have no fear then nor be troubled they can't take away your blessing in christ they cannot cancel out our citizenship in, in the lord's coming kingdom can they yeah. cannot they cannot undo what christ has done on your behalf and remove the eternal blessings that await you and every other follower of the lord jesus christ so don't fear don't fear or be troubled, Christian, when you suffer for righteousness' sake. You are indeed blessed. We must live with eternity in view. In order to carry out the things God has called us to carry out. Alright, let's look back at the text. 1 Peter 3, 14-15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed or you are blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And then in verse 15, it says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. So here again, I love we use the SV. It's a great translation. But that is one way to translate the Greek of that sentence. But other good translations, I'm going to go with a different one. Other translations put verse 15 in a slightly different way. And the emphasis is a little different because it can be translated that way. And they're, they're all similar, and they go, it goes like this. Like I'll give you an example. New American Standard Bible translates verse 15 this way. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The NIV translates it this way. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. The uh, N-E-T, and the one that I prefer, just for the word order, But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts, as Lord. What is Peter getting at? Well, remember what he just said, right? Do not fear. Do not fear them. Do not be troubled. But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. Commenting on that, one writer says that the alternative to fear is to focus attention on someone else. But in your hearts, reverence Christ as Lord. You know, because you, you become consumed, right, with this thing that's happening over here, and you're dominated by that. And this temporal, earthly thing owns you. And he says, wait a minute. Do not fear, do not be troubled. Remember, you are blessed. Set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. So what does that mean? Why is he calling him to do that? It's it, 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 certainly in the context of fear and being troubled. He says this statement. Well, to set Christ apart as Lord in their hearts, and what does that mean? So it's not the physical beating organ, but heart, when the Bible talks about heart, it's a way of saying, it's like saying in your thoughts and in your feelings or in your minds and emotions, with emphasis on the mind. So set Christ apart as Lord in your mind and in your feelings, in in, in your inner man. And to say that is on one level, we could say, if one does that, it is to then embrace the fact that the Lord, or that Christ being Lord, he is entirely worthy then of our devotion and our obedience, no matter what the temporary cost. So on one level, it could, it could be that, certainly. It certainly includes that. All right, So you're facing these things, but continue to be zealous for good, do not fear, do not be troubled, set Christ apart as Lord, meaning embrace his lordship. Okay? And as Lord, he is worthy of your full devotion. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of you following him, regardless of what might happen or the cost. Trust him. Okay? But the other way to understand that, and the way I think that Peter is leaning and what he's emphasizing, by saying embrace Christ as Lord, set him apart in your heart as Lord, would mean to embrace the fact that as Lord, he is in control of all things. And therefore, the Christian needs not be anxious about or troubled by the foolish hostility of others. They don't, need to be, they don't need to let themselves get worked up about such things. They don't have to let themselves become undone by such things. They don't need to be troubled or fear. Rather, set him apart in your heart as Lord. He is sovereign. He is in control. He's in control of you. He's in control of all the circumstances. Therefore, you have no reason to fear. One writer puts it this way, To reverence Christ as Lord means really to believe that Christ, not one's human opponents, is truly in control of events. To have such reverence in your hearts is to maintain continually a deep-seated inward confidence in Christ as reigning Lord and King. Again, it really, in this case, it's still a way of staying fixed on eternity. You're staying fixed on the person of eternity the Lord of eternity, in the face of this foolish hostility. You're reminding yourself, this temporal situation is just that, and things are not out of control because the Lord, who is eternal, rules and reigns over these things. He is the sovereign one. He is the king. I can trust him. I can put my hope in him. He is good. He cares for me. He loves me, and he has promised to bring me to where he is, to get me there through all this stuff. So I don't have to fret. I don't have to be anxious. Now, looking back. And this, uh, again at verse 14, this is when we step into this passage that's often quoted, but it's just removed from its context. So you lose the real punch of the passage because it's just they step in at verse 15 and, it, and people quote it and I get it, but it has a context. So let's, we're reading it in context. So again, picking up at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared, there it is, always being prepared. This is where people normally pick up the sentence and quote it. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is generally, like I said, verse 15, this is given as, you know, you need to be ready to share your faith with people. But it's it's stated in the context of those who are pursuing good, right, and suffering for it. They're suffering for it but they are to, they're continuing to do good anyway continuing to bless continuing not to turn return evil for evil continuing to seek peace and pursue, pursue peace and so because of what they're how they're living their lives in the face of this opposition people say what's going on there what's this what do you you obviously are, are don't look at things like we look at things your hope is obviously not in this world It must be somewhere else, because even in the face of opposition, you continue to do the things that are creating or causing opposition. You continue to serve the Lord nonetheless. So the implication here is that that the hope that the believer has moves him, animates him, and it becomes so evident that unbelievers begin to ask for an explanation. I don't don't get what's going on here. So Bob over there uh, screamed in your face and and told you are no good nothing and your religion is dumb and your Christ is stupid and so on and so forth. And then you went and prayed for him. I'm not, I don't get that. And then you went ahead and, and uh, when he left his trash out for the week, you took it in for him. I'm being ridiculous now. But you did. You were kind to him. You were kind to this guy. Even though he was not kind to you. You continue to make Christ known even though it brings uh, problems into your life. What's going on? What do you, what do you, what's your hope? Cause if it was just this life then then the things that bring you conflict of that nature you would just you would get out of that you would stop doing that but you don't you continue to do these things what's going on what's your hope and again the hope here is right it's his eternal perspective that this person has that's why he's doing what he's doing he's staying fixed on eternity and living and not living for the world or sorry living for the world to come And doing that can give the believer an opportunity to tell the unbeliever about that world. Let me say that again. Christian, if you live for the world to come, no matter what, then God can use that to give you an opportunity to tell the unbeliever about that world who's confused and doesn't have that hope. They are without hope, the scriptures say. But you, Christian, have hope. And that hope should, if you're focused on it, animate you to live your life a very different way unto the Lord. So Peter exhorts his Christian here to always be ready to explain why they have the hope that they have if anyone asks them. And what hope is this? Well, it's your hope, as we've said, it's that eternal hope. It's your hope or confident expectation of heaven. It's your hope of looking forward to an eternity spent with the Lord Jesus Christ in his everlasting kingdom. It's your hope, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verses 4 and 5, of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. No one can take it away. Not moth, not rust, not thief. It's there for you who by God's power, the greatest power known ever, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is your hope! That is your hope. But Peter adds that the explanation or reason here given for hope must be given with gentleness and respect. goes on to say also having a good conscience or keeping a good conscience. Okay, so that's interesting. So listen, keep doing good, even if you suffer, listen, if you do good, generally speaking, you're going to reduce your conflict, all right? Uh, if you're seeking peace, you're going to, so, you know, and Peter, we'll get to it. Peter, as he, we move through, he's, he's very adamant that, these, that Christians live, their, live righteous lives and not be suffering because they're living unrighteous lives. Don't let that be the situation. Don't live for the Lord, honor the Lord. Don't bring any shame to the name of Christ, okay? So continue to pursue Him, pursue Him. But, and if you do that, generally speaking, your conflict is, will be reduced. But the reality is there are still those because of the sin and, and perversion and those who are uh, hostile towards Christ and because these, this good life you're living is related to Christ. They'll come against you, okay? But even so, do good. Do not do evil to them. Bless them. Even though they do you wrong, you do them right. But you may suffer for doing good. But keep doing that. Keep doing that. Do not fear them. Do not be troubled. You are blessed. You are blessed. Set upon Christ as Lord in your hearts. Remember, he is sovereign. Things are not out of control. They may seem out of control. They are not. Nothing comes into your life apart from the sovereign hand of the Lord. So he has purpose. He's working all things out. Be not afraid. Do not be timid. And listen. Be ready because they're going to ask you. People are going to ask you about this hope you have because it's, it's going to be strange to them that you would choose to live this way. Continue to pursue this one, even, even suffering for it, this one being Christ. All right? So be ready to give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Got it? Be ready. Now, why would he say that? Think of Peter again, eternally minded. Because we want to see people... Who said that? Saved. Right? We want to see them receive Christ. We want them to have the same hope we have. Because if they leave this life without it, it's over. And this life is a passing away. This world is a passing away. Eternality is the most important thing because it goes on forever. Hello. You know what I'm saying? I know this feels like everything sometimes. It does for me too. I like you get consumed by the here and now. This is this is why I read stuff. This is why I read stuff like this. I need this. I need to be reminded. Set your eyes, Jeremy, on eternity. Peter's Peter is set on eternity. So he's like, get ready, be ready. And again, don't people have taken that and uh, be prepared to make a defense. And so they're like, okay, so you, you better, you better have all your ducks in a row, man. Uh, if someone asks you about the hope, you, you better be able to, you know, know everything there. you got to, you've got to have that dialed in, be ready. So you've got to be trained up. I don't think that's, that, that's not what Peter's saying. He's just saying, be ready. In the sense that, be looking for that opportunity and take advantage of it. Goodness gracious. Be thinking about that. Be ready to make a defense. Be thinking, I, this might give me the opportunity as I live. It might give me the opportunity to share my hope with them. Because they're going to ask. Anyone who asks, be ready. okay? But he says this, but do it with gentleness and respect. So, why might he say that? Why might he say that? Well, a couple of reasons. Okay? Remember the context. These are Christians who are uh, taking a hit for the faith, right? It doesn't say who comes and asks. So it could, be, uh, it could be the guy that's, or people that are causing them problems, their opponents. Maybe their opponents are asking. It could be. Like, I just don't get you, man. What's going on there? What's up? What's up? Why, do you, why do you keep uh, pursuing Christ? I don't get it even though I've you know, done you wrong for, for that reason, but you won't, you won't back down. I don't get it. It could be them. It could be others who are watching from afar and seeing this transact. It could be them. But either way, when you get into situations like that, I don't know about you, but generally speaking, humanity tends to kind of be on edge. Right? I'll tell you about this hope <laughs> that I keep getting beat down for. You know, I mean, like, okay, that's not what Peter wants, right? So he says, uh, or if there's some pushback, right? Like, oh, your Jesus is dumb. Oh, yeah? You know, like that, okay? And then it's on, you know, like Donkey Kong. That's crazy. That's not how the Christian is to respond about Jesus, right? So do it with gentleness and respect. One writer comments, when believers encounter a hostile world or are challenged concerning their faith, the temptation is to respond harshly or the temptation to respond harshly increases with that. To that degree. Defending a position could easily be transmuted into attacking one's opponents. You ever seen that happen? I have. So, you know, you're having a conversation and you're trying to share Christ, and instead of being uh, doing it with gentleness and respect, it becomes a full-blown, in-your-face, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to prove you wrong right now. Right? Or, I, or maybe they speak harshly to you, or not in a soft way, or not a kind way, and so instead of returning that, coming back to that with kindness you return with favor. So, or they're sarcastic, so you return with sarcasm. Or something of that nature. You know what I mean? Okay, so that's not going to be helpful at all. And that, in a second, that will bring shame to the name of Christ and could discredit you. So do it with gentleness and respect. So even if some have been aggressive or hostile with you, this is how I, how I would read it. Even if, even if someone has been aggressive or hostile with you, don't follow their lead. Okay? Don't do what the world does. Rather, follow the lead of your Lord. Be patient and kind with those who are lost. Huh? Be patient and kind. Okay? You have to use wisdom. There are times where you have to stop talking because they don't want to hear it anymore. You have to use wisdom. But but if you're going to continue in the conversation, always be patient and kind. If they get hostile or angry, you are not to get hostile and angry. Show Christ to them. Show this one in whom you have hope. Right? Right? Beyond that, remember that mercy has been given to you. We sing about that today. So you should be merciful to others. I would say it this way. Those who swim in mercy should be dripping in it. Do you swim in mercy, Christian? If you didn't know, the answer is yes. You are swimming in the mercy of God through Christ. So it should drip off of you and onto others. They should see that. They should experience that as well. Most importantly, don't give your opponents any grounds for their, for their slander. Don't give them any grounds for that, any justification for these things they're saying against you by acting like a crazy person or getting irate with them. They're already saying things that are not true. Don't give them grounds for that. Continue to do good. Continue to respond in kind and be gentle and respectful. Continue to make Christ known, and by doing that in a gentle and respectful way, and by doing that, God may... Use that to bring someone to himself. Okay? Stay fixed on eternity. That's, even in the midst of that conversation, what are you thinking about? The soul of this individual. Not the fact that they might be a little harsh with me. Think about the soul of this individual. That's what's going on right here. That's what's being fought for right in this moment. The soul of the individual. Their eternal soul. And where they'll spend eternity. Peter goes on to say, besides speaking, uh, being gentle and having respect when they give that defense, he says having a good conscience. No doubt that refers to the believer aiming to have a good conscience before God. A good conscience before God. So having a good conscience before God means that we we strive not to sin against Him and repent quickly when we do. Uh, One translation of the Bible puts that passage, the end of that section, this way. Live so you don't have to feel that you have done anything wrong. Live a life of integrity. Pursue Christ. Don't, if you're going to be in this situation, and you will be, Don't if you have a bad conscience, then that means that you've done something wrong, you haven't repented, That's going to, that may discredit you in this situation. It could. It could give justification to maybe some of the slander that your opponents are putting forth. And you don't want anything to get in the way or to hinder the possibility that, of making Christ known and people pursuing that or believing that. Okay? Uh, one writer says, how we speak, or I, actually I said this, how we live speaks louder and more powerfully than what we say. Actually, I didn't say that, but I've heard it said before, right? How we live speaks, speaks more powerfully than what we say. So, or you might have heard it said, your actions speak so loudly I can't hear anything you're saying. So, all of Peter's saying is, let your life back this up. You say you're pursuing this one who came and died to set you free from sin. Live that way. Live with a clear conscience before God. It gives validity to this hope that you have, this one in whom you're following. And when you don't live that way, then it creates problems for people in their mind. They're so like, who is this? One writer says, our lives provide the foundation for our lips to speak about the Savior. Our lies provide the foundation for our lips to speak about the Savior. Okay? So if you're going to make Him known, you better be living under Him. Have a clear conscience towards God. And then finally, 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Okay? You see that, put to shame? Don't think like, when you read that, don't think, yeah, that's right, they're going to get put to shame, Uh uh-huh. That's right, show them. That's not, um, that's, that's not what Peter's saying. One translation of that puts it this way. Some people may say evil things about your good conduct as believers in Christ. If they do, they will be put to shame for speaking like that about you. Why would they be put to shame? Because you're gentle and respectful whenever you are asked about this hope that is in you and defending it. You are pursuing good. You are not afraid. You are not troubled. You are living unto the Lord. They say these things, but there's nothing to back it up. So it, they're, they're, they're found out to be what they are, slanders. Okay? The hope here, I think, hope, the hope here of Peter is that the opponents, as I said, being put to shame does not mean that that in and of itself is what you're looking for, but that it will, as he says, issue in the silencing of their slander and subsequently issue in their considering and believing the gospel. In other words, they say these things, but they realize, my goodness, this person is not what I, they are not evil. They, they really believe this stuff, and, and it's demonstrated by their life. They are kind, I keep saying it, so it could be for the opponent. He may, his conscience may be pricked, right? But if you come back and then start to beat on him, in whatever way, verbal or physical, then he feels justified in his attack. So give him no reason to justify his slander. Give him none. But why would you do that? Why would you go through all the hassle? Because you want to see him come to Christ. You don't want anything to get in the way. So do all that you can do. Trust in the Lord that he might use this opportunity to bring this one to Christ. And if not your opponent, certainly someone else who's watching and observing this all go on. So you've got to stay fixed on eternity in the face of foolish hostility. And finally, this is it. This will take 10 seconds. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's how he closes this whole section, this part out. For it is better for to suffer for doing good, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. And as I told you, Peter, he keeps coming back to this. He'll come back to this in 1 Peter 4. He makes, he makes the statements there. Listen, don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian, Okay. If you suffer for the name of Christ, don't be ashamed. And again, why would he say that? Because there would be this idea of like, there must be something wrong with you. That's what's going, that's why these bad things are happening in your life. Like, no, there's nothing wrong. I'm pursuing Christ. And this is a reality of pursuing Christ, that there will be those who are antagonistic towards me. So there's no shame in that. But then he goes on in like 1 Peter 4 and says, but listen, if you suffer for the name of Christ, there's no shame in that, but let none of you suffer as an as a, uh, evildoer or as a thief. Don't, don't let your suffering be the result of that. But listen, if you should suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, which suggests that God is the one who brings these kind of things into our lives because he is sovereign, if it should be God's will, that is better. There's merit in that. Okay, God, God can achieve his purposes through that, whether it be your own sanctification or, as we've been discussing in this context, uh, to prick the conscience of some and bring them to salvation. So even in that, listen, even in that, you say, all right, I am experiencing suffering for the sake of righteousness, but I'm not going to fear or be troubled. I am blessed. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to pray that when the opportunity comes, I take advantage of the opportunity when I'm asked about this hope that is in me, and that I give that answer with gentleness and respect because I want to give the opponent no reason, no justification for his slander, And my prayer and my hope is that not only my opponents, but those who are observing me from afar will see this and they will see that Christ is real and the hope that I have is real, evidenced by my life, and that they might turn to Christ as well and be saved. Yes, I might suffer in this life, but it is not without a purpose. It is not without a cause. God is sovereign. He may bring these things into my life. He does. But he has a purpose behind them. He'll use them to draw people, as we respond to them appropriately, he'll use them to draw unbelievers to himself. As they see this and they say, wow, this is different, this is unique. So, It's a high call, it's a high call. But beloved, if we don't, if we don't stay fixed on eternity, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And So that's the key. Keep your eyes fixed on eternity. In all things, but certainly in the face of foolish hostility. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask your blessing, Father, upon it and upon our hearts. And Lord, we do ask that you help us, uh well, help us to be zealous for what is good and to pursue you, to trust in you and to, uh, and to keep our eyes fixed on eternity, to have eternal vision and let that impact our daily lives here on this earth. Remembering that this, these things are a passing away and that we, have, we are left here to make you known. And in doing that, we may suffer. In living lives unto you, we may suffer. But even in that, it is not without a cause or without a purpose. If it be your will, Father, we, we can embrace it. We can trust in it and serve you in it. And Father, even through those things, you have drawn unbelievers to yourself as they see this change and transform life the power of Christ. Help us to be that witness, Father, in this lost and dying world. Help us to not get caught up in all the stuff, the day to day, but live for you and live for eternity. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.